You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. Here are your hosts, Jay Fennell and Paul Wilkinson. Hello, well, welcome Life Group Leaders to another episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast for Brentwood Baptist Church. And I'm Jay Fennell and I'm here with Paul Wilkinson again and... Say hello, Paul. I know you want to. <laughs> hey, group leaders. Hope you all are well. <laughs> but uh, we're glad to be back. And it's hard to believe, Paul, that we've come to the very end of the Living Sin Curriculum Lesson 13. Uh, that today is our last podcast for this curriculum. Is it hard to believe? Yeah, it really is. It's been a it's been a good series. It's been a challenging and convicting series for our church, um, the entire family of Brentwood Baptist campuses. So it's sad to see it go, but um, you know, excited to bring it to the conclusion here, the climax. Yeah. So we are gonna gonna wrap it up uh, today, and let me just tell you a little bit about what we're gonna be doing over the next few weeks. We're gonna take a hiatus from the podcast uh, for three or four weeks until we crank back up again for the next curriculum that we're that's gonna be coming out in August. We've Talked a lot about it, spiritual leadership, but we will do a, a, a host of episodes for the spiritual leadership uh, curriculum, and we're looking forward to that too. It's going to be a good study. But in the meantime, though, we're not going to do a podcast. So I know you're sad, but that's okay. We will be back. In, in lieu of that, though, we're, we're probably going to experiment a little bit with Facebook Live. We do have a Facebook page. Uh, on um, for life group leaders for, specifically, yeah. So it's a private closed group for life group leaders specifically, and so if you're interested in being connected to that, I will issue an invitation to be to get a part to be a part of that group, and then Paul and I will plan to do some Facebook live videos, uh, maybe a few, not not a lot, but just a few over the next month or so to kind of delve into that world a bit. Those videos, we're thinking, are probably going to be a little more best practices, more discipleship-focused in general stuff. So a lot of the stuff Paul writes about in blogs uh, on journeyonleadership.com and some of the things we're reading, we'll probably incorporate some of that into those Facebook Live broadcasts. So something new, we're just trying out. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, more mediums, reach more leaders, and we're going to talk about unity today, so the more we can keep group leaders and our discipleship mission unified, I think the more powerful it's going to be for our group members. And so, yeah, Paul's right. We're talking about unity today. The the title for chapter 13 in the book is Becoming an Answer to Jesus's Prayer. And the focal passage is John 17, 18 18 through 26. Many of you are very familiar with John 17. It's often called uh, Christ's High Priestly Prayer. It's three segments. He uh, prays for himself, he prays for his 12 disciples, or the disciples, his immediate disciples of those who were following him at the time, and then he prays for believers who were to come after, years down the road, prays for them. So in essence, he's praying for us as his current day, everyday disciples today. Um, so it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing chapter, but we're going to be focusing on the very end, talking about us and our role as sent ones. And he mentions this whole idea of unity. As Paul mentioned earlier, he really raises that and talks about being one with God, being one with Christ, being one with each other, this whole idea of being unified 
unto Christ. So Paul's going to kick us off with a few remarks uh, about that and some thoughts on unity. Yeah, what was most interesting, I think, is that it seems in Jesus' language that our effectiveness in being sent or our degree of sentness is somehow a function of our unity within the body and uh, how connected we are to Christ's core message and core identity. Uh, so I figure why not try to find out where else unity is used, uh, particularly in the New Testament, uh, as we follow our hermeneutical circles from John to other writings of John to Gospels to the broader New Testament. And I did not highlight every text that has unity, but I think it's significant just to understand the pervasiveness of the idea of unity in the New Testament. So I'm going to give you a list of texts. I'm not going to read them, but you can, um, I'll put a time stamp uh, in the podcast notes and you can go back and grab these texts if you want to use them to stress this idea with those in your group. But Matthew 23, 8, Acts 4, 32, Romans 15, 5. 1 Corinthians 12.12, 12, Galatians 3.28, Ephesians 4.3, and then 4.13, Philippians 1.27, and then 2.2, 2, Colossians 3.14, 1 Peter 3.8, and 1 John 4.12. And so that gives you pastoral epistles, it gives you the narratives of Acts, and it gives you another gospel in addition to John, which will be Matthew, where this idea of unity of the faith, agreement within the body, to be of one accord on one mission is just such a crucial, crucial message for those in the New Testament church. And if you think back to last week, and then I guess three weeks ago, when we were talking about Romans for a couple of weeks, that I argued, and I think most New Testament scholars argue, that Paul's primary objective there is this idea of unity and reconciliation within the Jewish uh, body of new believers and the Gentile body of new believers, and to say that we're all one in Christ. So you just cannot get away from the idea of unity in the New Testament. So what are some ways you think unity might manifest in, in modern times? Well, one of the things that comes to mind um, as, as I think about this whole idea of, of unity that I see, even today, uh, I'll give you a quick example that I think is a good, good, a good picture of it. We've got some members of our church, Brentwood Baptists, that are um, seeking to reach their neighbors for Christ. And rather than just pulling together other Brentwood Baptist members in their neighborhood and seeking to develop a plan to reach neighbors, they are also involving other Christ followers from other churches and denominations. Because as they've lived in their neighborhood, they've met those people. They've met people from other churches, from other backgrounds, from other denominations, and even though there are differences in the way that they might do church, methodology and those sorts of things, some of the core essentials are there. So there's still evangelical Orthodox churches, but they're just different denominations. So there's a little bit of disunity in the way they do church, but unity in terms of what they believe. And so they have decided to partner together, which I think is a beautiful thing. You've got Church of Christ, and you've got Baptist, and you've got Methodist, and you've got Lutheran, you've got all these different backgrounds of people that live together in this neighborhood that are seeking to uh, love neighbors and to reach them and to be neighborly to serve. And I think it's just a great picture of how unification and evangelism or mission are so interrelated because there's nothing more put off-putting 
than a bunch of disunified people that are seem to be striving for the same thing. They disagree on so many different things. They're, there's conflict. There's disunity. The world looks at that and says, uh, not for me. And so, uh, anyway, that's just a picture, Paul, that, that comes to mind when I think about that. Yeah, we had another, I don't know if they're still meeting, but a weekday life group of women who met, and a lot of them were from different backgrounds um, as well. And they would come together and study scripture with one another. Yeah, we have some off-campus ladies groups as well. One led by Claudine Irby that had various women from different backgrounds, different churches involved. And they'd all study. Even some uh, folks from the Catholic Church that had come over to 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 be a part uh, of the Bible study that they were doing. So I think that's really cool. I think one of the, one of the things that, that really... The verse to me that really sticks out the most in this section of verses that we're going to be looking at, because we're going to be, the focal passage again is 17, John 17, 18 through 26. So right from the beginning, John has talked about sanctification. I think, Paul, you're going to talk a little bit about that here in just a second. But he says in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So there's that again, right? So that whole idea of being sent. Jesus sent, was sent by the Father, and now he is sending them into the world to be his disciples. And then he just talks about unity here, beginning in verse 20, um, that, you know, that all of them may be one, just as uh, you are in me and I am in you. Jesus is speaking, obviously. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Paul, talk to us just a little bit about, again, just maybe a little bit deeper, of the relationship between unification of the body and effectiveness in Christ's mission. I think Jason does a good job. I think it's on the second or third page of the chapter where he talks about there's a difference between what we mean by unity and the idea of unanimity. Uh, so saying that we don't have to all express our faith in an identical way, nevertheless, uh, we can certainly come to, um, we can come together on the same mission, grounded in the same scriptures, grounded in the same Christ. So it's on page 130, uh, the section titled, What I Am Not Suggesting, he gives a quote, and then the paragraph following the quote says, Unity is not unanimity. It is not everyone in the same boat. Unity is not everyone thinking or teaching the same things. Unity is not the elimination of all distinctiveness. It is not everyone always getting along. Unity is differing opinions moving toward one goal. Unity is everyone in his or her respective boat floating along in a similar direction. Uh, I think it's so crucial, uh, particularly as I deal with apologetics. You'll get this from people in other faiths and you'll get this from unbelievers is which denomination do I pick? Uh, this is a question you might get pushed back from on your group members. Yeah, that's great about unity, but don't we support other denominations? Or what we just said a few minutes ago, this idea of different faith traditions coming back together. So which one do I follow? Which one's true? Um, how do we get unified with all this distinctiveness within the faith? And I think it's important to understand why there are different denominations. Very, very rarely... Is there a denominational split over an essential doctrine of the faith? And uh, Jay's been reading Mere Christianity again recently. And I think what C.S. Lewis is after in that book is essentially what I would call the um, 
core essentials of the Christian faith, something like a Romans 10. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that the Father raised him from the dead, and you, and you will be saved. Uh, so we confess that Jesus is Lord. I think that implies Trinity, or it gets at the Trinity, to elevate Jesus to Lordship. Um, indicates a plurality, or at least implies a plurality within the Godhead, to belief in the historical resurrection. I think these things, that the Bible is God's revelation to his people, I think these are the core essentials of the faith. And I think very few Protestant denominations, or like the language you used earlier, evangelistic, orthodox denominations, whatever, disagree on those things. A lot of times it's governance. So we as Southern Baptists, we believe the local congregation is autonomous. Um, the Methodists have an Episcopal system. They have bishops and conferences and so forth. The Presbyterians have presbyters. They function like the U.S. Senate, which was actually modeled off the Presbyterian Church. And they elect people that are sent then to vote on church polity and the like. And, of course, we differ over worship styles. How much liturgy is there? Um, what kind of songs do you sing? And these sorts of ideas. But those aren't core essentials of the faith. Those aren't, we're not worshiping a different Christ just because one likes to follow a liturgy and um, have a more contemplative worship style, whereas another may not. They would prefer more expository preaching or or whatever the case may be. And so I think we as believers need to be able to help our group members articulate that when we talk about differences in denominations, particularly evangelistic orthodox denominations, we are not talking about core essential differences. Now there's some theological things I disagree with in those other systems, which is why I'm not there and I am here. But those aren't things that I think would exclude one from the eternal kingdom of God. And I think if we have that perspective as we're engaging the culture, it would help us overcome this idea of disunity based on denominational appearance. Yeah. And, you know, our unity as followers of Christ speaks to the world about who Jesus is. And it perfectly, because, talk to us a little bit about the unity of the Trinity, Paul, and how uh, Christ's followers who are, you know, little Christs, right, to some degree, uh, are supposed to reflect that unity as we see in the Godhead. Yeah, so we look at the Trinity eternally existing from the beginning, um, before creation, Father, Son, and Spirit all existing together in perfect community, perfect relationship, perfect love, um, distinct persons. So I would argue they each have a center of consciousness and a will, but they share something like a soul or a being or an essence, however you want to philosophically understand that, but that they are functionally all on the same page in their decision to create, in their decision to redeem, in their decision to love. Um, you can see Jesus in his humanity, certainly in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, lamenting that he was going to have to endure sin and be in some way, uh, I don't, I don't understand it, but to be in some way severed from the perfect unity that he had with the Father and the Spirit. Uh, for Jesus to become sin like that means that the Father had to turn his back in some sense, that the Spirit couldn't look upon him in some sense. And you can see the lament in the Garden of Gethsemane, which really highlights just how unified in one accord in, in, in direct trajectory and motion that the Trinity really is. And we likewise, as the people of God, ought to be in that same, that same boat. Um, I mentioned it, oh, man, it was definitely, we did it in Transforming Truths, but I think we also mentioned it in one of these contexts in the podcast about eschatology and end time stuff, and I was arguing for different models 
Um, some are premillennialists, some are postmillennialists, some are amillennialists, whatever. But no matter where you are in theological model, we all wind up on the same mission. Now, we may come at it from different angles and have different motivations, but we all are all about glorifying God's name in our Christian lifestyle and expanding the kingdom. And so I think it's a beauty of God that he can allow distinctions within individual mindsets and frameworks and yet direct all of this massive, complex body of Christ onto the same mission of kingdom expansion. Yeah. It's incredible. And I'm just reminded, I think I've been to Brazil twice, okay? Once in 2014 and again in 2016. And I go, part of a team of people from this church, English speakers, white Americans, and we travel across the, the world to South America, to Brazil, and we plop down in the middle of Rio amongst a different culture, amongst people who look different than us, people who have different backgrounds, different experiences, yet uh, we go and we connect in those churches in Rio, and there's an instant unity that we experience and feel. Even though we speak different languages, we can't understand each other. The Holy Spirit is what binds us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what brings all of that together, this force that brings all of us together, and there's a unity there. And then not only that, that we're all unified in our mission. We know what we're called to do, make disciples. So I go there to make disciples. The Brazilians or Brazilian Christians are there to make disciples. And we partner together to do that right there in some of the communities of Rio de Janeiro. And uh, it's just an amazing, beautiful picture of how the gospel brings that together. The mission of Jesus brings us together. Despite our distinctives, we are still very much unified in how God has brought us together in Christ. It's pretty cool. And you look at the progression of the church in Acts, I bring this up a lot, but goes from Jews at Pentecost to Samaritans and then to Gentiles. And God reconciles all those different traditions, races, ethnicities, philosophies, and reconciles it all into himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's a truly wonderful reality. And I think Satan really enjoys it when we fight over things that aren't essential to our faith. Um, I like a good theological debate as much as the next guy. Um, I spent a lot of years studying a lot of theology. But one of the gifts of studying theology and the philosophy the way I did is you really come to understand what is essential. And I would challenge all the group leaders to maybe try to write out what things are essential to the faith. And if you want, you can use C.S. Lewis mere Christianity as an example, and encourage your group members to be the same. And that's not to say that we then don't fight over secondary or tertiary theological issues, doctrines, or scriptural understandings. It's just to say that we have those fights in the proper context, that breaking fellowship is not a logical or Christ-like outcome in some of our debates, whether it's an old earth, young earth debate, a Calvinism, Arminianism debate, uh, millennial kingdom debate, whatever it is, these things are not, I would say, essential to understanding the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, the Trinitarian Godhead, and and so forth as it goes. So it's it's a really good exercise to to try to come to your understanding of what really is worth fighting for. So really, the point of this text to me, and the point of this lesson is the relationship between complete unity that Jesus prays for and the effectiveness of our gospel message, gospel witness. Verse 23, 
I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. Talking about believers, talking about disciples, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That our love for one another, our our unified body, is a witness to the world of the love of Christ and that he has been sent by the Father. Uh, yeah, and John also writes uh, that Jesus said, by this they'll all know that you're my disciples, if that you, you love if you love one another. Yeah, John 13. That's right. So the way we relate to each other within the body of Christ ought to be, as Jay said earlier, a reflection of the Trinitarian Godhead's holy nature and character and his righteousness and glory by the way we love and minister to and serve one another within this community of faith. All people from different backgrounds who are not biologically related and yet in Christ become brothers and sisters and really a big family. Yeah. So our prayer obviously should be for the Lord to help me or help you today to seek unity among those with whom I work and with those with whom I worship. Because it's so important. It's the mission of God can be broken down when worshipers, when Christ followers aren't unified in what they're doing. It loses its power in a lot of ways. I hope you have a great week and we will see you fairly soon, I guess, and probably three or four weeks as we get up for spiritual leadership.